ESPN. This is Bet LA with Anita Marks on 710 ESPN. And we're getting you set tonight with all the wagering and fantasy information you need for the NBA, MLB, golf. Bet LA with Anita Marks on 710 ESPN. Bet LA with Anita Marks right now. Welcome back to Bet LA here on 710 ESPN. We're kicking off our number two with a very special guest, and that's Ohm Youngman Sook, who did a phenomenal job uh, covering the the Denver Nuggets uh, throughout the postseason, specifically, of course, uh, with their road winning just five. All they needed was five, like Anita predicted. Yes, I am tooting my own horn once again. You'll probably hear <laughs> it being tooted again. Um, throughout the course of the next hour, but nonetheless, oh, welcome in. Great to have you. First things first, Nuggets do it in five. Uh, your your thoughts on you know their their postseason and um, and their quest to to win the championship? Um, they were incredible. They got better with each round. Uh, they were a team that adapted to no matter what was thrown at them. Nikola Jokic had an all time postseason run. Uh, I kind of think it's almost like, you know, it's, it could be up there with like Hakeem Olajuwon's tear all those years ago where he basically, you know, everybody remembers him kind of just decimating David Robinson. While you might not have seen the highlights uh, uh, look quite like that from Nikola Jokic, the statistics were incredible. And I think what he did is, is exactly what Isaiah Thomas, the Detroit Pistons Hall of Famer, told me. What he did, he had a legendary run. It was on a legendary level, and this basically stamped him as an all-time great and also the best player in the world right now. Uh, well, I, and and yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, again, Denver Nuggets winning in five. By the way, they're favored. This is a gambling show. Let's talk about those numbers. Uh, they're favored to win it again next season at plus 450. Boston following them at plus 550. Then the Bucks, the Suns at plus 850. The Lakers... At 12 to 1, Golden State as well. 76ers 13 when the Clippers rounded out at 17 to 1. We're going to get into that in just a second. But here's here's what I find interesting. You're out on the West Coast. You've lived out here on the East Coast as well. You know, people out here don't stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning watching the NBA. And so it's very interesting to hear people here like, oh my gosh, Jokic is unbelievable. He's been, he was averaging triple-doubles throughout the regular season, but nobody was watching Ohm because his games were being played at 10.30 at night. Um, you know, it's, 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 um, it, it was just, I, I think it was really, really cool to, uh, for him to finally get the credit that he deserved because when he did not get the MVP and it went to Embiid this season, I was disappointed. Yeah, so I was one of the people that voted for Embiid, and... I will say that Jokic had my vote until it became like quite apparent that I felt like Jokic did not want to win the award. Um, he was kind of tired of the conjecture. Uh, people saying that he was stat padding. I know, you know, he and the Nuggets did not like the whole racial theme that started popping up. Um, and so he basically was like, look, I have bigger, bigger goals and a bigger trophy to win. And I remember the night that kind of made my decision was that, uh, and B had scored 50 against the Boston Celtics on national TV. And I was watching on league pass at the same time, the Denver Nuggets lose in Houston and Jokic had like four assists. And I remember thinking, Jokic got to try to get four assists. Like he, he, he can roll out of bed with eight assists against the Houston Rockets easily. So 
I remember thinking he doesn't want to win it, and that's fine. It's too bad because, like, you know, he was at the doorstep of history of basically becoming joining only like four guys to ever do it to win three MVPs in a row. But he kind of just showed like he did not care about that. He just wanted the championship, and he's not about individual individual statistics. And um, I think the thing about what people need to to realize about Jokic is you have to watch him play basketball. You can't just watch the highlights and you can't just look at the stat box. You have to watch the very simple things that he does every night. I think I told Jeremy Schatz this the other day when I did ESPN Daily Podcast. I said, as a tennis fan growing up, I used to watch Bud Collins all the time. And I used to always be like, God, this guy's like, he's like just with an incredible shot being hit. He would just send out like a grunt. There'd be like this like grunt on national TV that he let out. But I understand why, because some of these shots that he would see being hit were just so, like, not even the most incredible shot, but just shots that you know were sick that the guy hit or, or the woman hit, and that, like, basically, like, that's just how talented they were. There are things that Jokic does that are very simple, not like he's not going to cross you over and make you stumble. He's not going to dunk on you, but he will throw a dime, no look, across, across the court to a guy in the corner, pass, like, Two defenders, the ball just whizzes by them, and you're just like, oh, my God, how did he just make that pass? And it's not like a Magic Johnson flashy no-look pass, but it is also a great basketball play. And then he does it over and over and over again. And you watch it. you got to watch him, and then you see all these shots that he makes, and you're just like, this guy's incredible, and all the passes and everything he does. He, he is, uh, you know, uh the the unicorn. I know we we called KP the unicorn, especially when he was here in New York. But nonetheless, uh, with that being said, the Nuggets, like I said, uh, they are favored to run it back at plus four fifty. Uh, do you think that's fair? You know this team better than most. Do you feel that they're going to lock and reload for next season? I think they definitely can. Uh, Jamal told me in the locker room, in the middle of the celebration, I asked him, uh, "Now that you and." and Joker have like a taste of a first title. What does that mean for you guys? And he said, this is long overdue. I always felt that if we just stayed healthy, we would win it all. And he's like, I think this is the first of many, he told me. And that he said, we got one. Why not go after another one? And they're set up to do it. Their starting five is under contract and locked in through 2024-25. And they probably need to retool their bench a little bit, which shouldn't be too hard. The big question is whether or not they can get Bruce Brown back because he was a very key component for them. And Michael Malone was making it clear, you know, Brucey e. B is coming back for another year, but we'll see. I mean, because Bruce, Bruce Brown is due for a big contract and, and it would be his first big one. So you can't knock a guy for going after the payday. Um, but otherwise, listen, you, you, you would imagine that, that Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are only going to get better now. They have championship experience. They know what it's like to go through the gauntlet. They know what it takes to win a championship. Same thing goes for Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. So now this team, in theory, should be even better next year if they can stay healthy. <clears throat> oh, Myungman Suk joining us here on 710 ESPN. Um, uh, let's, let's focus in, obviously, since we're on here in, in L.A., let's, let's focus on what's going on with the Lakers. Like I said, they're favored 12-1. to 1. Uh, well, not favored, but uh, their numbers are uh, odds are twelve to one. Uh, the Clippers are seventeen to one. Let's start with the Lakers first and foremost. Reeves, uh, Russell, uh, you know, um, Hachimura. There are a number of guys that uh, that that w- what everything that I was reading while they were still in it 
was that the goal was to make sure that they got these guys back. Uh, what at, right now? What are you hearing? I I, I know that um, we're still what uh, we've got July July sixth is really when free agency starts, but June thirtieth is when free agency negotiations can can really start heating up. Uh, any what can you tell us about what you're the Lakers this summer? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I just I'm only like 24 hours removed from the Denver Nuggets, but I would say that I think Rob Palenka has done a great job in building that team and kind of like getting back to building pieces around LeBron and AD as opposed to maybe just trying to create a big three with not much else. <clears throat> I think he's got some good young guys and he's got some tradable contracts as well and decides to bring back some of these guys. Um, I think they might probably want to stick with that because they only got to see it for really like less than half a season. So they might just say, let's, Let's bring it everybody back and let's see what we can do. Yes, LeBron's going to get a year older, um, but the team should be better because, remember, it wasn't even the same team that started the first half of the season. They got off to that rocky start. So, But I would also imagine Rob is going to definitely look into you know, other stars that may become available and, and see if he can pounce there. But it's, it's going to be difficult as well because you know if you try to go after another star – you're giving up on some of these other younger pieces that are pretty good complementary pieces. Uh, you know, when when you go online and, and you're trying to get a grip of, you know, just how crazy and each and every summer, right, Ohm, it, it, it is crazy uh, when it comes to NBA and free agency. Uh, Kyrie out of Dallas, Harden, um, Van Vliet, Middleton, KP, Draymond Green, just to throw out a, th- a few names that are out there. Um, you know, how on a scale of one to ten, how how is ten being the uh, the, the craziest? Um, how active and attractive are you anticipating this uh, this NBA free agency summer is going to be? It's hard to predict for me. I think because you've got a lot of teams now that are kind of being um kind of held down by this new CBA. Like, for example, the LA Clippers. You know, they they are going to have a a uh, hard time trying to keep Russell Westbrook because all they can offer him is a veteran minimum of $3.8 million. Um, they're not going to really be able to go out and try to improve the team like they have in the past just because of the new rules are a little more restrictive. So uh, with that being said, though, there are, you know, it seems like there are some some guys out there that that are real difference makers like a Bradley Beal. And, and if Washington decides to move on from that and, they can try to figure out a deal because he's got that no trade clause. Um, it'll be real interesting to see where somebody like Bradley Beal ends up. And if somebody like the Miami Heat could try to take advantage of getting another star because they really clearly need another like elite, you know, shooter and scorer because they just had so much trouble trying to score points. That, that was evident, which by the way, the Heat, which, which I find this really interesting. Oh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this 20 to 1. That's what their odds are. So you get bought like as as uh, what an amazing run that they had, and I understand that there are a number of guys uh, that they need to uh, you know re up as well and bring back guys that were pretty crucial, maybe not in the in the finals series, but definitely get, help them get there, like Caleb Martin. But twenty to one, um, 
are, are you just do you when, when I when I tell when I say that to you, are you like, wow, that they're really getting no respect? Or do you feel that that's 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 a fair odd odds number for them to, to potentially repeat this again next season? I mean, for now, I think it's probably fair if they don't have, you know, as, as the team as it is constituted now, even if Tyler Hero comes back, I mean, you got to expect that Milwaukee is going to come back and probably be better in Boston. Um, we have to see what Philadelphia is going to do with James Harden. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can understand that because the heat as good as they were in that run and taking advantage of things. I mean, you know, it's hard to kind of envision that same run happening again with this same group, unless they are able to pick up like another significant piece. Uh, with that being said, before I let you go, uh, of course, June 22nd, we've got the uh, the NBA draft that's rolling around. Like I said, the 30th uh, free agency negotiations uh, begin. July 6th is when free agency gets crazy. But in regard to the draft, as we know, the Spurs have the number one pick. Everybody is expecting them to draft Wendy, of course. Uh, right now, you could get him to win Rookie of the Year at minus 225 which means you're laying 225 for every $225 down you you put down you get back $100 if he wins rookie of the year. So if if you um if you're rolling in money, I mean obviously that's money making money. That's a no-brainer right there, right? Um well the only thing I would worry about it is that San Antonio sometimes, you know, can be a frustrating team. When it comes to, are they going to play Wimbledon every game? Are they going to rest him some games? Um, what their development plan is for him? I don't think it's going to be like San Antonio is like, like your normal rebuilding team where you throw in a, a very highly touted rookie and he's just going to play a ton. <clears throat> we don't really know what their system, I mean, how they're going to basically handle him. Uh, he is now the new franchise player there. So I would imagine they're going to be somewhat careful with him. So, I don't, you know, I could see maybe some some things deterring me a little bit from that because let's say if, you know, one of these other guys, these other highly talented rookies goes to a team where they're just going to play 35 minutes a game and they're going to play every game and they're going to build up statistics. Who knows? You know what I mean? But obviously we know that Wambayama is the most talented one of them all and that he should be able to rack up statistics. It's just that his pop going to basically play him all the time is, is what I'm wondering. Interesting. Again, minus 225. Scott, uh, Scoot Henderson, plus 350. Um, Holmgren, plus 450. Brandon Miller, plus 950. Just to kind of give you an idea of some of the guys following him. Ohm, you rock as always. Really do appreciate your time, especially this time of the year where uh, really <laughs> because both the NHL and the NBA ended in five. Um, uh, really uh, slim pickings. So we so appreciate your time. Thank you, my friend. Okay, thank you. You got it. Still more to come. You're listening to Bet LA here on 710 ESPN. This is Bet LA with Anita Marks. Right now, let's get back to Bet LA and back to Anita Marks. I want to thank Ohm for joining us. Um, listen, we're always here to try to help you win. This is this is why it's 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 bet against LA guys because I said, hey, love the Dodgers tonight. And granted, top of the fifth, it, it's it's not over. Uh, we know we've got nine innings. It's all good, uh, but they're down right now, four zero to the Chicago White Sox. So a few things uh, we let off the show with a number of bets that you could make in this game. 
Uh, one was the Dodgers, uh, and they were uh, the, the odds uh, minus 145 uh, on the money line. Uh, we liked the over, so it's 4-0, top of the fifth. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully these bats can start working for the Dodgers. We'll see what happens. Also, Grove, over five and a half hits. He's at seven right now. Still hasn't been pulled. So um, so we, we had, at least at least we hit that. So we hit that, and we liked the over. Also, oh, uh, we liked uh, Hayward with, with a hit. He's batting cleanup tonight, and he's 0 for 2 with a strikeout. So uh, there is that. Really quick, guys, this is, an, this is a fun... I'm, I'm going to get you in the know about something. Not very many people know this story. Michael Jordan's flu game sneakers auctioned off yesterday for $1.38 million. Did you guys see this? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That night, 38.7 rebounds, 5 assists. Uh, he played uh, a little over 44 minutes. And, uh, and, and so the Bulls... Uh, put them past the Jazz, and then um, and then of course uh, went on to uh, clinch the title. It was 1997. So I remember watching that game and being in awe of Michael Jordan. And and again, you know, it's we we refer to it as the flu game. And then the documentary that came out on ESPN, uh, it was the food poisoning game. So. That came out in the documentary that it really wasn't the flu. It was really food poisoning. But I have the truth. I play golf once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, with a former Bulls player. <laughs> it is the box wine hangover oh, game. Oh, nice. Just marinating this for a minute. Michael Jordan would drink boxed wine. Yeah. My man. Oh, re- I can't. <laughs> I, I don't even yeah, like I to. Don't, I don't even. I, don't. I, I was on the golf course today. I played in this golf tournament. They had a bunch of these little cans, the rosé, the cans of rosé oh, yeah. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Were they cold? I, I couldn't. I, I, I can't. I, I know I sound both. I, I know I sound bougie. I can't. I, I'm not going to do wine in a can. I'm not going to do wine in a box. Nonetheless, now you're in the know. It wasn't the flu. It wasn't food poisoning. It was boxed wine. I love it. That's so good. <laughs> this dude spent $1.38 million on a pair of shoes that Michael Jordan wore hungover. Incredible. Score 38 points, seven rebounds, <laughs> five assists. Anyway, um, I, I thought I'd share that little nugget with you. Thanks, uh, Anita. Quick break. <laughs> quick break when we come back. Let's do a deep dive into that LA Open. Um, or I should say the US Open happening at the LA Country Club and getting you ready for tomorrow's round. Sit tight. We'll be right back. 710 ESPN. This is Bet LA with Anita Marks. Right now, let's get back to Bet LA and back to Anita Marks. All right. The U.S. Open is in LA, the LA Country Club, and we've got our eyes and ears on the ground, as I always love to say, Keith Stewart, whenever he joins us, PGA Pro, um, does his own radio shows as well on ESPN and travels the country, and we're so blessed and so grateful to have him on each and every week, and of course, we've got him now, and he's out there right now at the LA Country Club. 
So Keith, first things first, I, I'm I'm looking at these scores and and, and obviously um, Shoffley and, and and Ricky Fowler uh, teed off earlier this morning, and so they've been in the clubhouse. I mean, heck, they're probably taking a nap right now. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, you know, for 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 both of them to shoot a 62, let alone one of them to shoot a 62, is is making history. For both of them to shoot shoot a 62, and looking at this leaderboard and a number of guys that have been able to go low, like DJ, like Rory, like Wyndham Clark. You know, let, let's talk about the conditions because this is not a typical U.S. Open condition for a golf course. What, what has happened here? Well, you know, the word here is that uh, a couple things, a little bit of a perfect storm have come together. And uh, scoring, is, it, this is almost like an open buffet at this point. I mean, because these guys are really good. And uh, the word is that I've heard about a month ago, Anita, they cut the rough. And everyone was like, well, you know, don't cut the rough. You know, the U.S. Open's coming. And the, and the USGA was like, no, we're going to cut the rough. And they haven't had June weather here in L.A., as everyone knows that's listening to this. Uh, you know, as it stands right now, it's in the 60s and barely reaches the 70s every day. We had the marine layer this morning. Well, the rough didn't grow. The golf course is a little tacky. They've got the greens firm, and they've got them very fast. But these guys are really good, and you can't make a golf course – a perfect storm led to what 120 this is the 123rd US Open and your boy Ricky Fowler set the scoring record right on the 50th anniversary of Johnny Miller's 63 Ricky throws up a little 62 and everyone's celebrating for all of 22 minutes and Xander does the same thing and throws a 62 on top of him just unbelievable setting this morning um and I'm not quite sure that the USGA or the LACC members are happy about it to be honest with you yeah, real. I, I mean, seriously. Uh, like I said, this is this is not this is not the way the U.S. Open is played. Um, so, so w- with with that being said, um, w- will this change at all? What 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 are the weather conditions coming in uh, for tomorrow throughout the weekend? You know, is it going to be hotter? Is it going to be drier? Will they not use? Um, you know, any water to, uh, to, to, to make, you know, to obviously help make this course e- easier. What can we expect in the coming days, Keith? Well, you know, everyone's going to say, don't use water anymore. They haven't been using mm-hmm. water, Anita. I know that for a fact. So, you know, th- this marine layer in the morning, it just won't go away. And the guys that are out there right now, when it flips to the, you know, PM, AM wave, they play tomorrow morning in their second round. They're going to be able to take advantage. There's been no wind. There's been very little wind. They played the golf course short today, which was another reason why it was very gettable. I mean, you know, the, the scorecard was listed at 74-21. Today they played it at 72-49, almost 200 yards shorter. So, you know, you've got guys making, you know, Ricky made 10 birdies in his round today. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely not our parents' U.S. Open, that's for sure. And I think that they'll try to make it harder tomorrow. And There are some pin positions that they can – they can definitely toughen it up a little bit, and they can add some length, but there's only so much they can do. Now, the weekend looks like the sun is going to come out. looks like we're going to get in the 80s, and we can bake this thing out a little bit. But for right now, these first 36 holes, these guys are in a track meet. 
I mean, that that's what I was going to ask you, right? Like, there's only so much you can do. You know, you can't control Mother Nature. Obviously, uh, they really screwed up in regard to cutting the rough, weather conditions, uh, not what you typically find in June. Like, you know, we can't go back and, and, and change change what has happened here. But, you know, you can, as we know, you can make the course more difficult in, rega- in regard to pin placement. That will be interesting. Um, all right. So, so let, let's talk about Ricky Fowler. And, and I, I love that you call him my guy. There might be some folks out there listening who don't understand why you're calling him my guy. Ricky Fowler, hands down, my favorite golfer on the PJ Tour and has been for years. Um, everything, not everything, I'd say 80% of what I wear is orange. When I play golf, my golf balls are orange. My gloves are orange. Um, you know, heck I bought an orange scooter one time, uh, because I just love orange because it represents everything Ricky Fowler is about, uh, or at least used to be, he doesn't really wear orange anymore, but nonetheless, um, a big reason why he, he, he has done so well in this round. He's first tied first in strokes game total with Shoffley, second tee to green, third on approach, but first putting, plus 4.52 strokes gained putting today. And really interesting, so apparently he trimmed his putter down about a half an inch, and he put on a new grip. And dude is just sinking everything, right? I I tell you, he was in fuego today. There's no doubt about it. Whatever he did, don't change it. You know, take that putter. Put it in a safe spot for the next three days because he's going to have to hold on tight. Right now, I think he sits on the board uh, fourth ranked as far as outright odds. So I don't know. I don't know if the uh, handicappers have all the faith in the world in him. But I'll tell you what, Ricky, as you know, Anita, we've brought his name up time and time again as I've been all over the country following the tour. Ricky's had a solid year. He's had a lot of top twenties. Mm-hmm. He's been in the mix a lot, and in the past, he's been in the heat in majors. So in my mind, he's definitely one of those guys that he could be. So coming into this, the U.S. Open's been very unique lately. Twelve of the last 14 winners, it's been their first major. So Matt Fitzpatrick is an example last year, your defending champ. You know, the two guys at the top, Xander and Ricky, they don't have major championships. Is, is it going to be 13 out of 15? I don't know. But, I mean, those trends, sometimes they, you know, in this case, for Ricky and Xander, the trend is your friend. <laughs> the trend is your friend. Uh, I liked Ricky. And, and by the way, you're talking about Ricky Fowler and, and what a season that he has had. You're absolutely right. 12 top 25s, six top 10s. Uh, he definitely is on point and has his game uh, headed in the right direction. I did like Ricky Fowler coming in. He was one of my plays to finish in the top 20. So obviously I'm feeling really good about that. Um, Shoffley was not one of my plays. He is as well tied for first in strokes gain total first in strokes gain T to green, as well as approach. And by the way, right now, data golf, because I follow data golf. I love data golf. Um, I, I, I pay a, a, a pretty significant price to make sure that I, I have access to their data, um, each and every day, uh, gives him a 20 right now where it stands a 26.7% chance of winning this bad boy. Um, the highest of, of anyone. What did you see from Shoffley today, and, and, and how confident are you that he's going to be able to stay in the mix and, and be in contention on Sunday? So I walked with those guys this morning. I was at, That was the morning group that I was most interested in. There was Hovland, Rob, and Xander, and uh, um, I, I really enjoyed watching what Xander was doing. He looked super calm, almost like his, you know, this afternoon before I, uh, I came in to talk to you, 
um, I was walking with DJ, and DJ just had his old saunter going. And I tell you, the two of them looked so cool. Xander, he just one good shot after another. He was pacing himself well. He and his caddy, they were chatting it up. He seemed very, very comfortable with what he was doing. You know, Xander's had a ton of great history in the U.S. Open. If you just go through this field, he's got the number one scoring average. He's got the lowest scoring average in the field with a couple U.S. Opens under your belt. So, I mean, he's definitely one of these guys coming in that people felt good about, but then they go, well, how come he hasn't won one before? I, you know, I tell you, Xander today, he was, almost, he, he was almost as good with the putter as Ricky was, and he was twice as good as Ricky with his irons. He was on point with his approach game, and this is a second-shot golf course, and that's why he equaled him at 62. Um, another guy who I was I was on coming in, and that was finishing in the top forty, is Wyndham Clark. He's first in strokes gained around the green. What a season he's having right now! Uh, your your thoughts on on his uh, his day one performance? Well, you remember when we talked at Wells Fargo? I was all over Wyndham Clark, right? I mean, I'm a huge fan. It was interesting that he didn't show up at the PGA, but it doesn't surprise. It surprises me more that he didn't show up at Oak Hill than him playing well here. I think that win at Wells Fargo was really a launching pad for Wyndham Clark. Uh, pound for pound, one of the strongest players on tour, but a lot of touch. Reminds me kind of like of a Brooks Kepka, the type of guy that makes a lot of putts, really good around the greens, but just the power, just, you know, the relentless fury he can take to a golf course. Um, this could be a big moment for Wyndham Clark because if he, you know, brings some of that confidence that he gained against Xander in the final round, they're at Quail Hollow here, and I tell you, Wyndham Clark, it'd be a great story. I mean, I know it wouldn't be quite the story that uh, Ricky would be for you or Xander would be for Southern California, but how about this leaderboard? I know that LACC and the USGA, Mike Wan, maybe they don't want this many birdies, but look at the names that are all over this top ten. You've got Rory, DJ. You know, I mean, this thing is really going to shake out for the next couple of days to be quite, quite a Hollywood ending. Really quick before I let you go, uh, Scotty Scheffler tied for eighth, three under today. Um, you know, putting still not fantastic. Uh, not negative in putting. He's plus one, four, three in strokes gained putting. But man, uh, far, far, from, far from the top, but still able to finish three under at tied for eighth. This is what we've seen now for over a month, Keith, right? Uh, unbelievable ball striking, great off the tee, great tee to green, but just horrible putting. Um, do you feel that that being outside the top 20, because right now that's where he is right now after round one, being outside the top 20 in, in putting, that he can still get the, the deal done this week? I think if, if Scotty just breaks even on putting, he could win this week. And that's what we've all been talking about here in the media center because he's been losing an epic amount every week. I mean, he mm -hmm. makes Luke List look like a good putter. It's unbelievable. And at the end of the day, he lost his last two tournaments. He was one shot out of a playoff at Colonial, one shot out of a playoff at Memorial, and he was losing seven, eight strokes against the field. If he had just broke even, he would win by five or six. So look what he did. Remember what he did at Sawgrass. He won by five, and he was even strokes gained putting. So if, if he could just maintain where he is right now, as the golf course gets harder and harder, his ball striking is just going to continue to push him up the odds board and put him right in position come Sunday to get his first U.S. Open. There's no doubt about that. In my mind, 
even with him being five behind after his morning round at three under and the other guys being at eight, I still think he's one of the guys to beat for sure. Data Golf gives him an 8.7% chance of winning this bad boy. So where it stands right now, my guy, Ricky Fowler, 7-1, to one, Shoffley plus 350. He's favored right now uh, to uh, from the odds, uh, odds makers, uh, to win the U.S. Open. Rory at 4-1, to one, Justin Johnson plus 650, Scotty Scheffler, who we just talked about, 7-1, to one, Wyndham Clark, 12-1. to one. Uh, With that being said, Based on what you've seen today in regard to the conditions, in regard to the players, if if you were to make another wager heading into tomorrow's round, what what would it be? Who would it be on? You know, DJ impressed me in Oak Hill. I walked with his group in the first round, and then in the second round, he wasn't great. Third round, he kind of fell back in the pack. He looks really good. I spent a bunch of time in his group this afternoon. He, I watched him warm up this afternoon. He was right next to Cam Smith, the two of them. I don't get to see a lot of live players out here on tour anymore. And I tell you, I miss watching DJ hit balls. And you and I both know, if everyone's at their best, it's either Rory or DJ are the best golfers in the world. There's no doubt in my mind. And I think right now where things stand, he gets an early start in the morning. I would watch out because Dustin has got a little bounce in his step. And it's just one of those things. Remember, he's, he's always been good in L.A. He's always been great, great at Riviera. I'm not calling that a comp course, but maybe he likes the restaurants around here, Anita, because DJ looks smooth. And right now, I would say that's definitely probably my guy there at the top of the board who maybe some people, you know, are overlooking. I like DJ. DJ to win this plus 650 uh, to finish in the top five is plus 105. By the way, Forbes has him as the uh, number one grossing golfer this season. $111 million, $106 million on the course, $5 million off. Phil Mickelson second at 105. Rory third at 80 million. Brooks Kepka 77 million. Cam Smith 76. Tiger 75. But get this, Tiger only $15 million on the course, $60 million off the course. But Dustin Johnson, number one grossing golfer this year with Forbes. And Keith Stewart says this is the guy who he'd put his money on heading into, uh, heading into round two on, on, on Friday. Six to one again to, uh, to win outright, plus 100, around even money to finish in the top five. Keith, you rock as always, my friend. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Anita, this is going to be a fantastic championship. Everybody tune in. It's awesome. It's the U.S. Open. Have fun. Tune in. Heck, get out there. L.A. Country Club. Get L.A. Get, get your butts out there. That's for sure. When we come back, we're getting you ready for UFC. That's right. We've got UFC action coming your way on Saturday night. It is fight night. And Joe Fortenball will join us next right here on Bet L.A. 710 ESPN. Right now, let's get back to Bet LA and back to Anita Marks. Welcome back. Let's end the show strong with Joe Fortenball, one of my partners in crime at Daily Wager. Shameless plug, not so shameless. Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure you tune in. So what would that be? I didn't go to an Ivy League school. So that would be, what, 3 to 4 p.m.? 
uh, Pacific. That's what it would be. Joe Fortenbaugh joining us now. Joe, hi. Uh, I'm going to tell you what. I'm a little bit perturbed, to be completely honest with you. I've been coming on your New York show for years. Uh I remember coming on with you when you were on ESPN Radio. Now you're in L.A., and this is the first invite I get. Like, there it is. Big city and sunshine. She's too big for everyone else. Too big for the little people, folks. You're so funny. I just, you're so, you're so busy. I feel like I don't want to bother you. It's not that I don't want, I, man, I, I, I'd have you on every night. I'd say, oh, I know. you know, you're screw the, it. Let's, let's make know, it a two person I've been show. With you. I've been working with you forever. I love you. I, I love you. I kid. You reach out enough and I'd love to help you more. You're right. It, you add a couple young kids to the mix and it just destroys everything. For everyone listening out there, don't do it. Keep living the dream. Can I just can I just be quite frank with you? Um, I accidentally yeah. sent sent a text to you at, at, at three o'clock in the morning. That was an accident. That was an accident. Ooh, no. I'm like, I, t- I sent you that text and I said, oh, no, he's he's in Las Vegas. What am I doing? Yeah. He's not. He's so I'm so sorry. I hopefully I hopefully I didn't wake you up. Hopefully you woke up and it was like, oh, I need to text me. Hopefully it wasn't like, who's texting me at three o'clock in the morning? Oh, man, it's Anita, blah, 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 blah. Well, it did not wake me up, but I didn't wake up and go, oh, it's a text from Anita. I woke up and I went, oh, why is she texting me at three in the morning about something we already have figured out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Joe Fortenball, who does a phenomenal job handicapping our uh, UFC coverage, and we got fight night. Uh, in Las Vegas, coming your way on Saturday, the light heavyweight, and I, I butcher these names. I preface by saying I am not going to pretend like I like like I know a lot about UFC, and this is why you are on the program because you do know a lot. Marvin Vittori going up against yep. Jared Cannonier. Look at you! Fantastic work. You're two for two so far. There we go. <laughs> Vittori is is favored here at minus one twenty five. Um, and, uh, and Jared is, uh, is obviously the dog at plus one Oh five, but looking at these odds, odds makers feel that this is going to be a pretty good match. Break it down for yeah. us, Joe. Yeah. It opened a little bit closer to minus one ten both ways. So we've seen Vittori money. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to play it two ways. I'm going to play Marvin Vittori minus one twenty five, And then I'll give you my second play as we work through the analysis. There's a lot to like here. He's 10 years younger than Jared Cannonier. He has this his superior ground game, so if they get down there, he's got the edge. Better striking defense, which is always going to be important. It's about hitting, but it's also about not getting hit. Great chin, elite gas tank. When it comes to cardio, and remember, this is the main event, so it's a five-round fight. Vittori's got the edge in those departments. The downside is that Cannoneer has a little bit more pop in his punches. He's the more powerful puncher, but... At the same time, we just mentioned, Vittori's got a very strong chin, so he's going to be able to take some of those shots. So I'm going to play Vittori minus 125. The the pricing on the over-under is four and a half rounds, and it's juiced heavily to the over, minus 220, something like that. I don't know if I'd play that. It's the UFC. It's a 25-minute fight. There are a lot of fluky things that can happen. But if you want, you can play Vittori by decision at plus 110 and limit some of your liability there. It's a good price. By decision. And that's minus 110. That's how you would play it. Plus 110. Um, we would say we I'm would sorry, say plus, plus 110. Yes. I like Vittori to win outright. I'm all over that at minus 125. 
but I think you can mm-hmm. also play him to win specifically by decision, plus 110, get a little, little extra back on your investment. I like it. Uh, another bout that you have your eye on, and that is um, Selikov going up against Nicholas Dalby. Pretty good. Muslim Salikov, Salikov, actually, excuse me. You got me tricked there. But you got Nicholas Darby. So you're three for four. You're doing well. Three for four, 75%. So, if this is baseball, you're beating Ted Williams. Yes, and, and that's a big feat. Um, but um, Nicholas is coming in. He's got four knockouts. So, you know, plus 155. So, you know, how much of a long shot is that if somebody's expecting him to pull the upset? I am looking the other direction here. This is one of the fights, and this is earlier on the card. So pay attention when you're getting involved in this. A couple we're giving you here are going to be earlier on the card. So you got to watch the mm-hmm. timing on this. I would lay the minus 190 with uh, Salikov. He's won six of his last seven fights. But more importantly, what I love here, he's got multiple ways he can win this fight. He can win stand-up and striking, but he can also win grappling, wrestling, and through submission on the ground. That's one of the things I'm always looking for when I'm handicapping this. How many paths to victory do you have? He's a very technical, powerful striker, a great takedown defense as well, which is going to be very, very important when you're talking about going up against a guy who can wrestle a little bit. Uh, Dalby's four wins in the UFC, uh, zero finishes. He's, he's won a lot by decision, so in this situation, it's going to be Salikov minus 190. I'll go ahead and I'll lay that price. Like I said, Dalby's has, he's been knocked out four times. Are, are you, you know, is, is, is there a prop bet out there that, that, um, that he, he will lose by knockout? Is that? You can play that, yeah. You can always play method of victory. That's a lot of the ways sometimes you want to limit exposure. If you've got a guy who's like minus 500, how's, what, how's he likely to win the fight? Find a way to get yourself a better price while betting the better fighter. I'm comfortable laying the 190 here because, like I said, there's multiple paths to victory for Salikov. It could be a stoppage via the stand-up knockout game. It could be a submission. So I'm going to go ahead. I I, I don't mind taking the risk in this fight. Uh, Last but not least, Miles Johns. That was an easy one. um, Against uh, (laughs) Barcelos, right? And and looking at it, it... there we go. And, and, and I, I actually did a little prep before I had you come on the show. And everything I read was these guys were pretty much, you know, both very good, evenly matched. But you're getting plus 190 with Johns. Why? Yeah, and that's something I'd be looking at there. Plus 190, I think, is the path that you want to take in this situation. Similar styles, similar skill sets. Johns has some better defense. So when you're talking about, again, avoiding getting hit, that's going to be important. Because when you're going up against Barcelos, he's an outstanding wrestler. Great takedowns. He wants to get it to the mat. Well, the great thing about Miles Johns is he's got excellent takedown defense. And if he's able to have great defense, excuse me, and he's able to limit what Barcelos can do by getting him to the ground, that's going to make this a much more competitive fight. And again, if this were priced minus 110 both ways, or maybe Barcelos is minus 130, we're probably staying away. But when you look at the skill sets, you look at how they stack up against each other, you look at the strengths of Barcelos and the fact that Miles Johns can counter some of those strengths, you dangle plus 190 out there, I'm going to get involved. So Miles Johns plus 190 to win any way possible. You rock as always, Joe Fortenball. I absolutely adore you. Are, are you on Daily Wager tomorrow? Oh, yes, yes. Daily Wager tomorrow. Very handsome, very charming, as my grandmother would say. I'll leave it to the rest of the audience to decide for themselves. Fantastic. So uh, I'm actually back from vacation. 
Um, I just returned from uh, Atlantic City, so uh, I will be on the show with you. <laughs> I will be on the show with yeah, that's right. Um, I will be on the show with you as well tomorrow. So make sure you tune in to both Joe Fortinball and myself. Daily Wager coming your way 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific. Joe, thank you so much. Really do appreciate you, my friend. I will see you tomorrow. Anita, it's always my pleasure. Love you. Thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. You got it. Joe spewing out the winners for UFC Fight Night coming your way from Las Vegas on Saturday. This concludes our show. I want to thank Keith Stewart, uh, who joined us to talk about the U.S. Open, getting you ready for round two. Boy, these numbers went low. Uh, Ohm Youngman Souk looking ahead to the NBA futures and what a wild summer we are anticipating to have. Cynthia Freeland talking some NFL. Never too soon. Never a dull moment to talk NFL. And we will, is, uh, believe it or not. It's interesting. I feel like Father's Day is the line of demarcation for me. I feel like once Father's Day comes, it's like pew, fast forward before we know it. Football season's here. And so um, we, we've, <laughs> it's our responsibility to get you ready. Um, that's for sure. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show tonight. Uh, our producers who always do a great job, Tyler and Rebecca, appreciate you both. Um, everybody have a fantastic evening. I'm back with you bright and early Sunday morning, getting you ready for the final round of the U.S. Open taking place at the L.A. Country Club. So uh, make sure you tune in 7 a.m. And, uh, and we will get you locked and loaded for the final round. I'll see you then right here on 710 ESP.